0: Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us and we hope that you're open to hear what he has to say to you today. Enjoy. We, uh, let me just get that, I'll get that later. We, uh, a few months ago there was a number of pastors who met up in Truro. We started having a conversation around what would it look like to see a whole bunch of churches come together around a singular idea. I don't know if you know this or not, but historically, churches aren't so good at getting along. That's probably not true in Barrington, but in other parts of the world, sometimes churches can be contentious. And we started having a dream what if we put all of our personal issues, our personal baggage, our personal denominational distinctives behind us, and what if we raised the flag of Jesus for a focused week of serving and loving our community? We called it Love Atlantic, and we said, you know, what if, I don't know, like 50 churches got on board? Like, ah, that seems kind of small for Atlantic Canada. What if, what if 100 churches got on board? As of this morning, there's 109 churches. 109. I don't know what you think of that, but forget churches, Can you imagine if 109 of anything teamed up together? Can you imagine if 109 fishing boats teamed up together? Can you imagine 109 schools, 109 hospitals, 109 banks, 109 of anything saying it won't be about us singularly. We're going to be part of something so much bigger than ourselves. 109 churches. It's absolutely historic. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be in on that. This is not look what they did. This is we. We are in on that. And so us specifically, uh, Coastal will have their ways in which they serve. You can sign up, have initiatives, whatever you guys are working out. Uh, But from my end of things, as Jay said, we are three churches wrapped in one, Yarmouth, Coastal, and South. And so we have our own expressions. We do our own teaching, our own worship sometimes, our own ministries. But behind the scenes, we're kind of one governance body to help us move smoothly and efficiently. And so we share everything, right down to resources. I think I share more than you share sometimes, but I think we share most often. It's a little little humor there. A little parent paying for the kids sometimes. Uh, So here's what we're gonna do across all three campuses. Whatever comes in financially is gonna go back into the community, 100%. So which means if you give $1, $1 goes back into Barrington area. If you give $1,000, $1,000 goes back into the community. Now, there's always a few people who say, I don't like giving to the church. I don't want to pay for some pastors and bills and buildings and blah, blah, blah. Well, here's your time. Whatever you give goes back into your community. And by your community, I don't mean Yarmouth. We'll worry about Yarmouth. You guys worry about Barrington and Barrington Municipalities. Does that sound fair? Boy, that's pretty mediocre. That's about the sheepish, weakest thing I could ever hear from a group of people. I think, have you guys talked numbers at all? So at 10 grand, I think you should raise 20. Does it, Yeah? Yeah? No? Yeah? I don't know. I don't know if you guys just all talk out here, but I think it says lobster capital of the world on the sign. I think it's a bunch of show and no go out here. So I don't know. I don't want to throw down here, but 10 I see J's 10. I say you guys could shoot for 20. There you go. There you go. <laughs> From the woman who raised like $67,000 yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. Church. Yeah. Church. Yeah. 20 grand should be nothing for the church. Amen? Yeah. Kind of got a little quieter there. That kind of stuff, it's always fun to say that and then get my car drive back to Yarmouth. <laughs> but for real, there is something going on in our community, in our region, that is absolutely historic. But I, but I still think, and this, this may shock you, uh, bone dry, dead serious, 20 grand is nothing. 100 grand is nothing. I, I think sometimes what we don't realize is what God actually has in store for us. I don't know if you remember the time when you started realizing God had plans for you. I don't know if that's a, a thought you had, a conscious thought, but for me it was a conscious moment when I realized that God had plans for me, and I knew it because I'm a pastor's kid. And if you're a pastor's kid, everybody in the church is obligated to tell you that you'll make a great pastor someday. I don't know what that is, if it's in the rules, the handbook, or whatever, but my grandfather's a pastor, my dad's a pastor, my uncle's a pastor, my cousin's a pastor. And so all the sweet people in the church said, Oh, you're going to make a great, grand pastor someday. You'll be a great pastor someday. And because I'm a pastor's kid, I wanted no part of it. I wasn't blind, I wasn't delusional. I knew what it meant, and I did not want any part of it. Now, I didn't want any part of it, not for the reasons you would think. Well, maybe, maybe you know me. Uh, for me, I'm not interested in speaking in front of crowds. I'm not interested in working rooms and getting to know people. Like, that stuff is a stretch for me at times. I've had to grow into it, but I was such a shy kid. And maybe because my dad was a pastor, we were kind of thrust into the spotlight from time to time. I have a vivid memory of standing on a platform like this with my my little tie, my hair parted over. We were in our family quartet. Because if you were the pastor's family, you also had to do the special music. Mom's on the piano. Dad's on the guitar. I'm on the bass in the corner. I'm not a musician. I remember breaking into tears because I hated being up there. And so I don't know if it's being thrust into it, but the other issue is I stuttered growing up. And so if you have a stuttering issue, if you have a stuttering problem, and then you think you're going to have to preach in front of people, there's just no part of you that wants that. And so through my high school years, this, this tension of God wants to use me, and I don't want to be used by God. It wasn't confusion for me, it was, I don't want this. I know what this is gonna be. I know what the road's gonna look like. I don't want this. It wasn't confusion, it was disinterest. Now for some of you, I don't know your story of when the first time you heard God may have a purpose for you, or plans, or that he would want to use you in his kingdom on mission, but when I talk to people, everybody has their own objections. Rarely do I bump into people who hear that the God of the universe wants to use them in the restoration of broken families and communities. Like, oh, sign me up. I feel prepared for this. Everyone kind of leans back. And for a whole bunch of people, uh, there's a variety of reasons. Some people say, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not gifted enough. I don't, I don't know enough. I don't, I'm not prepared enough. I don't have the time for it. I don't know about this. And everyone has their list of reasons of why they're not usable by God. But I find in Southwest Nova, there's kind of a general number one thing I hear the most. And the number one thing I hear is, I don't know enough. I don't know what that is. I don't know what's in the currency, I don't know. I said this morning when I preached a version of this to our church, I think Southwest Nova are some of the most humble people I've ever met. I don't know if you've noticed this, I don't know if you've met you before, but you all are incredibly humble by and large. I think it's the blue collar work ethic. I think there's something in the water down here that teaches people you work hard, keep your head down, keep your nose clean, the whole deal. There's something about that that just removes pride from the community. The problem is there's almost a version of humility that blurs into like self-doubt or self-loathing. Like I'm not much, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. And so what we have down here is an incredible volunteer culture, happy to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but don't put me in the spotlight. Don't put me in charge of things, I just wanna help. Does that ring true out in Barrington? I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is. In the, but when all of a sudden you come to church and this pastor hyped up on Red Bull says, you should lead this thing. <laughs> like, like, I don't lead things. I help with things. You want me to stack chairs? I'm in. You want me to clean the nursery toys? I'm in. You want me to help? I'm in, but I don't lead. But there's, I don't know. I think there's stuff that God has for people in this room that they need to shut off their false narratives and hear what God might be saying to them through Ephesians chapter two. If you have your Bibles with you or your phones, whatever you bring scriptures on, we're in Ephesians chapter two, verses one to 10. Now, if you haven't read Ephesians in a while, it's, it's got the punch of Romans. Uh, we preached through Romans not that long ago. You got the 16 chapters, all the theological nuance and depth and all the stuff you love about Romans, but in the readability of Philippians. So if you're watching Sunday night football tonight during halftime, just mute the talking heads. You could read all of Ephesians at halftime. Real short, easy to read, but it punches. It's got depth and weight to it. In chapter two, Paul says some incredible things that I believe are helpful as you sort out this idea, God wants me in. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one. And you were dead in the trespass, blah, blah. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, where we were once nature, sorry, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. With him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul opens up with a real cheery part of scripture. But you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sin. You were a sinner who sinned. You, had, uh, you were an agent of wrath. You had all this negative language out of the gate. You're dead. You can do nothing good. And the church said, exactly. Because that's not how you preach a sermon in 2022, is it? In 2022, you say, you know, you're all special, you're all wonderful, you're all the most special, wonderful creature, you've done nothing wrong, because my mom said I did nothing wrong my entire life. See, once upon a time, the church gathered, and when the preacher said, you were trapped in your sin, the church was like, yeah. The preacher would get up and say, you're nothing but a bunch of sinners, yeah. And you lie, and you cheat, and you steal. Yeah, and there was this notion once upon a time when some of you grew up in church as I grew up in church The part of the sermon that was the easiest to preach is that you were a sinner and everyone knew it And here's the craziest part. It wasn't just the people in the church who knew it. It was the people Outside the church. They knew they were sinners. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Maybe there's no sinners in Barrington Once upon a time, this was common knowledge. Here's how I know it's common knowledge. People who are sinning didn't go to church because they were afraid if they walked into church, the roof would come down on them. There was this idea, I am sinning, I'm not living right, so I can't go to church, God is holy, he'll see me there, he'll get me, it won't be a good scene. So what I'll do is I'll clean myself up and then go to church someday. Does that sound familiar? Now, every good angle has a negative angle. People had a good idea that we were sinners. The downfall is they thought God wanted no part of sinners. Now in 2022, we've completely scrubbed the idea that anyone does anything wrong ever. Have you noticed this? No one takes responsibility for anything. And yet, the world looks the way that it looks. No one's done anything wrong, yet the world is as messed up as it has ever been. I don't know about you, I've never had a hard time accepting that we are sinful by identity at birth, and we sin. Some people think you sin, so your identity is shaped by your action. That's not true. Our identity shapes our behavior. I've never had a hard time with this, especially once I became a father. Anybody else? I've got these... We call them children. Little heathen sinners is what they are. Also known as Baptists. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So thanks, Bud back there. You've seen kids, haven't you? Sneak, 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 steal the cookie, sneak, sneak, sneak. Did you take the cookie? I did not take the cookie. What's on your face? It's not cookie. You've walked in the playroom and one loving child has the other loving child choked on the floor over a Lego piece. (laughs) Heathens, sinners, punch, claw, scratch, like you've seen this. I guarantee you did not model this for them. It is from our birth we have a propensity and a bent to sin. We must feel the weight of that. Then verse four says, but God. See, the next part, but God, rich in mercy, great in love, made us alive, raised us and seated us in the heavenly places, and in 2022, people say, "Ah, I know. Nobody is shocked by that part. When I say that God is love and he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you, people are like, I know. I've met me. I'm a delightful person. (laughs) I've read my Facebook posts. I'm witty. I'm charming. I'm insightful. There's something in 2022 where we think we're flawless, and so you come to church, someone says, God loves you, and you're like, I know. Doesn't everybody? See, we miss the weight of but God being rich in mercy if we downplay you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. If the doctor tells you you were healed of cancer, and never knew you were sick, okay. See, the weight of the passage is that God loves the unlovable. Why do I draw this out? We're about to get into Love Atlantic, serve our community, give money away to the community, and it'd be very easy to come to Coastal and think, huh, I kind of like Coastal. The band's all right pastors are okay. They got coffee beforehand. I got a sweater. I got a mug. They're serving their community. Like, I, I kind of feel good. I feel good about myself when I'm there. And we leave. And we get wrapped up in the mission of God before we experience the gospel. See, what I love about this is that the grace comes before the work. God cares more about your soul than the calluses on your hand before you run out and sign up, before you serve, before you do all those things, the question is really, how is my soul? Because Paul is saying to them, you were this way. You used to be dead in sin. You used to be going down this road. And so the question, or the state, reality is, he's preaching to people who have already received it, not just already heard it. There's a difference between hearing about grace and receiving grace. And Paul myself, Jay, your entire pastoral family, the people who may have invited you here, they care more about your soul than the work that you can do. They care more about your soul than how much money you can give to Love Week. Give nothing, get your soul right with God, and heavens will rejoice. It is about your heart before your work. Now, what do we do with our work? That is the overflow of the heart part. When the heart gets right, we then overflow into works. Make no mistake about it, God created all of us for good works. Every single one of us was created for good works. Paul says, not as a result of your works that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Every single person who calls themselves a Christian was created for good works. No exceptions bar none. You can go home and watch football, and it is very evident they are playing the game I am watching. You go to school tomorrow, the kids are in class, the teacher is teaching. There is a clear divide, and what happens is you come to church, and you think, well, here's the divide yet again. You preach, we listen. You lead us in worship, we will observe. If it's good enough, we might even give a golf clap. Like, there is a clear divide between who does the works and who receives the works. The mistake would be confusing this for the good works that Paul is talking about. This is the church service. This is the rally. This is the coming together before we scatter. This is receiving before we go to give because we don't give anything that we have not received. And so when Paul says you were created for good works, he was not describing how we fill the nursery schedule, how we fill the worship team schedule, who's gonna do sound back there so this thing actually stays semi-appropriate. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about how you live your life day in and day out, in and on mission. See, in Acts chapter 2, the church is gathered, and they're worshiping, and they're praying, and the Holy Spirit comes down. And the Holy Spirit washes across them. They're speaking in tongues and signs and wonders, and thousands of people get saved, and Peter stands up and he starts preaching. He pulls from prophet Joel, pulls that forward and says, I'll tell you what's happening. The Holy Spirit has come. And when Joel said, when the Spirit of God comes, he'll come on men and women, the young and old, free and slave, Jew and Gentile. The Spirit will just pour out because the Spirit is for everybody. Which is so interesting. Because somehow we think it's for some people more than other people well, the pastors probably have a good dose of the Spirit. Maybe some elders and deacons and advisors and board members and special people and Christian school teachers, like those people need the Spirit, but I'm out here, they're up there, there's a difference here. Nope. Men and women, young and old, free and slave, Jew and Gentile. For everybody. And the church takes it seriously. People start leaning into the mission of God. And you come to Acts chapter 6, and the guys are preaching and teaching the word, and the ministry is growing and growing, and activity is going on, and everything's are happening. And as the church starts to grow, things start to fall through the cracks. That happens at every church, right down to the biblical churches. Things start to fall through the cracks, and here's the thing that fell through the cracks. Feeding the widows. Do you know what happens when you ignore the widows? Someone gets upset. <laughs> You don't skip the widows, amen? You don't skip the widows. The poor widows lost their husbands in a a patriarchal society. They lost their covering, and they're not getting their food. And so someone rings the bell and says, I think our widows are hungry. And the preacher's like, well, I can run some food over. There's this pause in the scripture. You read the text yourself. If I run the food over, who's gonna be preaching and teaching? Because if the preaching and the teaching stops, maybe people stop hearing the gospel. So I can stop this and do that, or we can get more people. If we want more ministry, instead of a few people doing more, maybe we get more ministers. So they say, grab seven people, make sure they're of good reputation. Make sure they're full of the spirit, which I think is fascinating, that they want them to be full of the spirit to drop over egg salad sandwiches to the seniors. Because you would think anybody can just drop sandwiches over, right? Like that's a lesser ministry. The preacher should be full of the spirit, but someone dropping off sandwiches to Nana, I mean. No, 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 no. Make sure that they're being delivered by a good reputation and full of the Spirit. Because it's ministry is ministry is ministry. Do you feel it? So the question becomes for every church, do you get the few people doing more or do you get more people doing something? And Paul is standing there saying, everybody was created for good works. Yes, a few will go into vocational ministry, have a call of God, they'll become maybe pastors, and they'll give their life to it in a unique way, but that is still just me living out the good work God gave me to do, which is no different than you giving your life to the good work he gave you to do. And at this moment, sometimes people are like, ah, I don't know. I mean, you're talking fast, but I don't think I buy it. I didn't go to Bible college. I just showed up to church. I just, maybe tonight's my first night. I I feel like people who should be doing important things should be important people or super gifted people or educated. I don't know. I think the part we forget is that God equips the workers for the work. You were created for good work, but the same grace that saves you, which we all cling to, is the same grace that equips you for the works. I don't know about you, but I had this theology growing up. I would thank God for the grace that led to salvation, and then I would take it from there to show God what a good investment I was. God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you, I get eternity with you. Now I'm going to break my back working for the church so that you know I was a good investment. I'm not going to slack. I'm not going to dog it. I'm going to make sure you know that I was the best person to ever receive grace. Now watch me go. No, church. The grace that saves is the grace that equips for ministry. And so what happens here at, the, at this kind of part is, like, well, I don't know how that works. By God's Holy Spirit, when he comes, when you become a Christian, we actually receive spiritual gifts, You don't all get the same gifts. Some people are teaching. Some people are hospitable, open their home. Some people are mercy. They can't help but watch Hallmark with a tear rolling down their face. I mean, you see a kid going to school with holes in their boots. You're just flicking up the 20s, making sure that kid's got dry boots. You see someone hungry, you're pouring the purse. Like, mercy. Some of you are leaders, entrepreneurs. Some of you are just like, there's all these gifts in the church. And what happens is, it is not about how hard you can work. It's about how willing you are. Someone sent me a quote this week by David Benner. It said, God's not looking for your willpower. He's looking for your consent. Which means everybody in this room, the only way you access the grace to do the works that you were created for is by opening your hands. Maybe literally you open your hands to feel the weight of it, but God, by his grace, deposits gifts and abilities into you for the good works. You might find yourself driving down and gassing up tonight and someone steps to their car, you can just tell, I need to speak to this person. Like, I'm, not, I'm not ready for this. Grace deposited. You sign up for Love week. I don't know how this is gonna go. Grace deposited. God is not looking for these super gifted people. He makes people gifted. You open your hand and he puts it in there. Sometimes he puts a gift in there that you think, wow, that kind of makes sense. And sometimes he turns your world upside down, takes a stuttering kid that you should preach for the rest of your life. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. But for a church like you, sitting on the cusp of Love Atlantic, one of 109 churches, I want you to feel this as you go into worship. You get to participate by grace. Just feel that for a second. Because the reality is, we can do almost anything as a church family. The size of Coastal, the financial horsepower in a community like this, you guys could sit down and say, this winter, no kid goes to school cold. And by God's grace, you guys could make that happen. You guys could sit down and be like, No single mom ought to struggle the way they struggle going through this journey. We will come around them, and not a single mom in this region should have to struggle the way they used to. This church could make a tangible and life-altering difference in this community. You guys have the horsepower. Do you have the consent? Does the will say, God, I don't have what it takes? I'm not enough. I know who I was, dead in my sins, following the spirit of division and destruction. I know who I am, Lord. But God, being rich in mercy, would you use me? Would you take whatever I have, God, and use it? And whatever I lack, would you provide it? Church, this is not meant to be a rallying cry as much as it's meant to be an eye-opening experience. We have the opportunity to rock Barrington in Jesus' name. You have the opportunity to leave people stepping back and say, I'm not sure what this Coastal Church is about. I'm pretty sure I don't like their theology, but I have never seen a group of people love our community like Coastal. And you will step back and say, but God. Are you with me, church? Is there anybody out there? Does he have your will? Will you consent to partnering with King Jesus to love this community like it's never been loved before? We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.